college basketball has returned with a bang. We are podcasting for the first time Probably Jonesin. We made you wait two weeks between episodes, but the timing was just tricky with all the games. It felt dumb to podcast off opening night. It also felt dumb to podcast going into Friday's huge slate and have like a 12 hour shelf life on it. Um, so finally, now we we bring you the episode that you guys have been waiting for with our initial takeaways on the 2023-2024 college basketball season, Brad. It's been a fun start for your Providence Friars. It's been a nervy start for the Northwestern Wildcats. It's been a poor start for the Siena Saints. But I've been all over the place, watched a ton of basketball. You have as well. We, Our, our text threads are, are loaded this time of year between game notes that we've been watching and also roster things. We've been tracking our red shirts. I mean, this is this is the time of year to pick out, and uh, certainly more of that to come here with Feast Week approaching. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's been a great nine days. I'm very encouraged by the amount of red shirts. You know, I, I'm still angry that Samson Johnson didn't redshirt last year. Her, Hurley is like so anti-redshirt. Like he didn't let any of those international guys redshirt last year. Just like wasted them away. But I mean, Alabama's redshirting, Texas Tech's going to redshirt. You know, there's there's a million teams. Uh, someone's redshirting like three guys. I forgot who, but um, I'm glad we're saving up eligibility. Yes, and I I talked about this a little on Twitter, and you you joked about this I think over the summer when Papa Conte tore his ACL. You were like, yeah, you know, like. He, he's gonna he's gonna be like the best grad transfer in the portal in like four years. Um, he's gonna make so much money. <laughs> all these guys like 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 people need to start thinking about redshirting as a financial decision, right? Like if you're Jaden Shoot and you're at Duke and you have the opportunity to either play garbage time this year to maybe prove that you should get ten minutes a game, but realistically it's the deck stack against you. Or redshirt and extend the clock. So either you stay at Duke, you get your Duke degree, and then you grad transfer. Or you transfer after this year, you have two good years, and then you grad transfer. Right? Get, oh, start the clock and open up the NIL coffers for yourself. Extend it as much as you can. And uh, I think we're starting to see that. I'm not sure how much it's NIL influence as much as it is. There's just not a lot of room on these rosters. Like, you know, I, I don't think it's a coincidence, Brad, that we talk so heavily about how Big 12 and SEC teams are just so deep because they backfill every spot in the portal, right? Like if you have any remote need, you were going to get in the body because you had NIL to spend and you had, uh, you know, you have, you have the ability to go out and recruit and you look around and you see the number of red shirts. Like I've got in the Big 12, for instance, I've got Two already at Cincinnati who are sit-out transfers in Bandago and Reynolds, as well as a possible in Rayvon Griffith, a healthy redshirt. Houston's redshirting, too, with McFarland and Jefferson. Iowa State's redshirting, too, with Jelani Hamilton and JT Rock. Kansas is redshirting Zach Clements. Oklahoma might be redshirting Jacob Cole. Um, TCU is redshirting Jace Posey and Isaiah Manning. West Virginia is going to wind up redshirting Raekwon Battle and Noah Farrakhan as transfers. And Drew Steffi is going to tra- redshirt at Texas Tech. So 
the the impact there. Realistically, the only teams that aren't redshirting guys are the teams that didn't fill all their spots. So if you're at 13 scholarships right now, it's hard to hard to play all 13, and uh, so we're certainly seeing that. But um, don't need to get too far into the weeds on that front, Brad, because we have actual basketball to talk about. All the hypothetical roster building things we love discussing all offseason, we don't have to spend a whole show on. This is unbelievable. Yet half of my thoughts are consumed of who's who's TJ Power going to land with when uh, he portals. Or, you know, some of these redshirt guys are, are like actually really good. Like you mentioned uh, Jacob Cole and Corey Chest. Like I watched them play in high school. Those guys are like legit, like good recruits. You know, yes. Gary Norman is. You know, there there's a lot. You said shoot uh, for Duke. Like that's 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 going to be a. Uh, very fun thing to try, but you're right. Back back to basketball. Um, the the first thing I want to get out there is my deep regret in not putting Arizona number one. I was like, I- I'm gonna be higher than everyone else on Arizona. Put them at like seven. When I saw them beat Morgan State by like 70 points, I was like, that would have been a perfect one to be a little different without you know being. Nuts, like Jeff Goodman putting Villanova as his champion or something. Um, but, like, th- you know, that that was the move. They they have so much talent in the backcourt. We, we saw it against Duke. Boswell was awesome. Caleb Love g- gave you the full Caleb Love experience, plus some great defense. I mean, J- Jaden Bradley's a five-star. Pel, Pel Larson ha- has a lot of toughness. You know, he, he could slide down on the four. He's a really interesting player. Then they're, they're, they're loaded up front. Yeah, so why don't we why don't we talk Arizona Duke quickly? Um, because I do think there's a case to be made that Arizona should be the number one team in the country. Part of that, I guess, depends on how high you are on Duke right now. Um, but that is the most impressive road win um, that any team has. And you're right. I mean, Kylan Boswell was tremendous. I mean, the stat line is 12 points, eight rebounds, five assists. His impact felt far greater than that in that game. I mean, he was around every ball he had he played well defensively he made some really clutch important shots he was as good as you could have ever hoped for um i thought he gave them a tremendous boost you mentioned larson is is a just solid player i thought love's energy was good yes like caleb love is going to make mistakes caleb love is going to turn the basketball over caleb love is going to have four days he had all of that but Caleb Love also only shot 10 times in this game. Guess when the last time Caleb Love shot fewer than 10, 10 or fewer shots in a game was? I'm going to guess that never happened at UNC. <laughs> so he, he did it th- four times last season, I have. Um, all of them in relative blowout or in um there there's one normal game it was Syracuse the road Syracuse game that they like nearly lost um and he had 15 points on seven shots but it has been few and far between I mean he puts them up so that's a huge step that he's just being a little bit more stable with the ball I thought Kashad Johnson was good and honestly like one of my main takeaways from that film was that Motijas Krivas is going to be like an All-American next year. 
The minute that I declared that I want all the Kriva stock, he blew a layup. Uh, but he's enormous. Right. He, yeah. He, you just look up. You're like that. That guy is very big and very uh and, and like kind of knows what he's doing out there. Yeah. He, he gave him you know very very good minutes. Soft touch. Game look, looked a little fast for him right now, but like he's way further ahead than Fowler was at Gonzaga or anything. Yes. Right, he's not like quite Donovan Klingon or something like that, but or Edie. But no. when you have guys who are just like absurdly big, if they look at all competent early on, that means they're probably going to be really good. Because yeah, you got to remember the steeper learning curve for bigs. I mean, we're seeing that now. If we want to kind of pivot to Michigan, it looks incredible. Terrace Reed. Um, he he's on a whole nother level than he was last year. It's it's funny. I remember in our Big Ten preview, we were talking about Michigan. We had him whatever tenth or eleventh, and I was like, well, the optimistic path for Michigan is you know Reed and McDaniel were these great recruits. They they take a step. Olivier Nakamwa is you know a, a good best player, and Namari Burnett lives up to his recruiting hype, but that's not gonna happen. Um, and so far, that is literally exactly what's happened. Right. Everything has gone even better. Like, like Kamala has been even better than you would have expected. Um, like Doug an optimist McDaniel. wouldn't have even thought they'd be this good. Yeah. Like Doug McDaniel, like is all of a sudden Frank Mason, right? Like Ter- Terrace has been good. Yes. No. I mean, Michigan has probably been the most impressive team in the country so far. But I, I think an interesting, maybe this is a, um, a kind of look into the next week's a, a people, but. You know, I, I I think a lot of the AP voters rely on Gary Parrish's rankings. And on Tuesday morning, I open up his rankings. I'm like, I bet I bet he has Michigan like top ten. And like, I don't see Michigan. I close it. I was like, wait, no, no I must have missed them. I opened it three times. Gary Gary Parrish, who was one of the St. John's, is going to be ranked because Rick Pitino is God. Um, did not have Michigan ranked. And I. I, I personally would have. I don't think it's crazy not to. But I found that interesting because I assumed everyone would just be like all aboard the Michigan train. Um, but it seems more people are selling St. John's than buying Michigan. Except like, like, like I've been listening to the uh, Sleepers guys a lot, and they're obviously in on Michigan. They've been following the, the buy games and the exhibitions and the Marquette secret scrimmage, which kind of gave you a little hint that Michigan was for real. Uh, but it seems like the rest of the country – is not quite in yet. Yeah, I, I, I've bought up the stock. Like, I mean, I don't know how to, like, what level. Like, I don't know that I'm, like, top 10. But, like, we I mean, look like there's a chance that – I think there's a chance that this time – not this time next week because the tournament starts next Wednesday. I think there's a chance that in 10 days, Michigan is, like, a consensus top five team. If they win Atlantis – with that field, Villanova, Texas Tech, North Carolina, Memphis, Stanford, um, one more brand. Um, like, they win that tournament, they're going to be top five. Which happened, what, Jawan Howard's first year or second year? Yes. I, mean, I think it was Atlantis, too, right, that they won, right? Yeah, I think, I think so as well. So we're on the path. I don't remember who was on that team. Was that... 
No, my my if it was if it was recent history year, basketball brain Tusky is done. Team. Sorry, what was that? If it was his first year, it was the Teskey team. Okay. But that team Xavier Simpson point guard? Yeah, it would be Teskey and Simpson. And Eli Brooks, Livers, and Franz. So that team was seven and out of the break, out of the gates, beat Gonzaga by twenty in Atlantis to win it. And then lost by 15 to Louisville to start losing three of their next four. And Louisville then became like nearly a top, you know, nearly a number one team because uh, that was the Jordan Wara team that was on pace to be like a top three seed before the uh, COVID situation. Oh, this was the COVID year. Yes. And that was John Howard's first year. Yes. So, so, so Jordan Poole played for Beeline? Yes. Wow. I, I, I would have guessed Juwan was there for much longer. My, my like recent history basketball brain is fried. I don't know what happened to it. I think it's filled with all this potential portal talk for next spring. Um, yeah, I mean, Michigan is on that collision course again. Um, they, they looked incredible, and St. John's looked so bad. Their defense was abhorrent. You know, prior to our Big East preview, I was going to make the point that Providence was the most athletic team in the conference by far, uh, but but I forgot to make it. Uh, but I was thinking, oh, maybe St. John's could compete? And I was looking at the roster again, and I was like, actually, this 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 team isn't athletic at all. I I don't know what I was – maybe just the depth and the Rick, Rick Pitino aura, um, but – as you scrutinize it, like Jordan Dingle and Chris Ledlam and they look they look very slow again. They were very slow. Ledlam was brutal. Yes. Even the guys who like looked okay, like Aline and Conway, and like Aline missed a hundred shots. Conway's just a glue guy. It like really exposed their kind of lack of talent. Um. Yeah. I mean. So, 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 so on the Michigan front, before we close the book there, um, the one thing that you can like point to and say, yeah, you know, like this could come back to hurt them is, or, or here's why this isn't sustainable, whatever, whatever is the, is the shooting, right? Particularly from guys you wouldn't have necessarily expected. Like Amari Burnett is six for 13 from three this so far, that's 46%. He was a 32% three point shooter at Alabama last year. Um, Terrence Williams was a 25% three-point shooter last year. He was a low-volume three-point shooter two years ago at 38%. This year, he's 7 for 15, 47%. Will Cheddar, Will Cheddar was 5 for 20 from three last season in 27 games. In three games this year, he is 7 of 9, right? Like, those guys, like, when you're playing two bigs and the two bigs are making shots, like, obviously, that's going to make a pretty substantial impact for you. But... The thing I do feel really confident in is that Doug McDaniel is very legit. Olivier Kamwa is very legit. Terrace Reed is very legit. And if you have three dudes, you're going to be good. And I think right now that's that's what Michigan has. They're going to defend the rim really well. They're, you know, they, they've done a great job there with with Terrace. Um, and if McDaniel is really one of the best guards in, in college basketball, like he looks so far, they're going to be a tough out. Yeah, and at least guys like Burnett and even Cheddar to some extent were supposed to be shooters. Yeah. Um, and so my, 
my next kind of qualm is the 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 discourse the past probably what three or four days, which basically started with Maryland blowing the Asheville Invitational, and has extended to St. John's on Monday basically. Um, and it's the whole national media really needs to chill with the the, the conference heart to hearts after every loss. Like the minute Maryland loses, it's like I I think the Big Ten's done for. St. John's loses. Rob Doster has revised his prediction from seven NCAA tournament teams from the Big East to now three or four. Based on nine days. And there is a very realistic, if not probable, outcome right now that Purdue and Michigan are the two best teams in the Big Ten. Yeah. So the fact that Xavier and St. John's lose and they could be sixth and seventh or fifth and sixth in the conference they lost to the top two teams in the Big Ten. Like, are we really, like, freaking out over that? So, so, so here's so a few, few thoughts here. I definitely agree that it feels more – everything feels more hot takey this year. Like, every, every everyone is trying so hard to react to incomplete information, even more than they ha- do in years past, right? Because the great thing about college basketball, because there's so much variance from team to team, is that no one really knows what the wins are worth or what the losses are worth for a few weeks. Exactly. You could start you could start to see it. Right. Like you and I can watch basketball and say that team's good. Right. Like you watch Michigan, St. John's. Michigan's pretty darn good. St. John's pretty bad. Right. But you can't like like, like you, you, you can't you can't make these deep comparisons across leagues and this and that when we're talking such limited sample sizes. Right. Like okay the the how yeah the, the Big Ten's cooked because Maryland lost two games but then Michigan and Michigan and Purdue dominate Champ or Gavit but then Iowa hangs with Creighton so that means the Big East sucks but Marquette won at Illinois so Marquette doesn't suck right like like it's it's too it's too much and the thing I th- I find particularly funny is there's been all of this like big picture takes. But there hasn't been a lot of updating of like preseason priors in terms of like rankings, right? right. Like, everyone still has the same rankings, but then now it's like, well, actually, the Big Ten is is just is is done for, um, and 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 X team like like it, it, it's it's nuts. It it, it has gone has gotten too far. And, and again, maybe we'll be ready, but like I I had, you know, we've we've talked about on this this podcast in the past that. Uh, I'm a member of a group chat with several members of the national media, blog, everyone from bloggers to, you know, people like the Goodmans and the Borzellos and the Dossers of the world. And naturally, like, it's just going constantly. Someone has an opinion all the time. And like, like Oklahoma State, Sam Houston this weekend was a perfect example. It was like, I think it was Saturday. Oklahoma State goes down by like two at the U8 of the first half. And I get a text from Sean Paul. Love Sean Paul to death. That says, when are we having the Mike Boynton discourse? And I and I, I said to him, I said, I said, probably not the first weekend of the year. Like probably, probably gotta give it a few weeks. And sure enough, like Sam Houston State got like not only didn't win that game, they didn't even cover. Like Oklahoma we'll State cruise. <laughs> like we're, we're, every every assumption and every every prediction being made right now is the equivalent of the person going on the message board at the U16 of the first half 
of the game and saying, oh, we lost. Terrible performance. We're cooked. Right? Slow down, people. Right? I mean, people just have these, like, incredibly short memories. Like, every year. Like, what Xavier did on Monday is, like, the most bubbly thing that you can do. Like, go on the road to, like, the number one team of the country and, like, compete in the first half and then get pulled away in the second half. Like, that's what every bubble team does. Every Like, what Villanova did... Now, now Villanova, uh, probably the, more of a bubble team than a top top 25 team, like, like most people had them, including us. Um, yeah. But, like, bubble teams lose to Penn every, every year. Right? And, like, looking at the teams that I had in the NCAA tournament in the preseason, just going through some of these teams in the back, like New Mexico, Oklahoma State, Dayton, St. John's, Indiana, Ole Miss. I had those six teams in a row from 39 to 44, and those teams have looked like shit. Right? So if we're like, okay, the Big East is down to four bids, well, we're also taking out those six teams I named. And, and now who's coming in? You know, like cer- so, certainly not like Syracuse and Vanderbilt. You know, yes, right. To to close the book on the like hot takes thing, I think the best way to approach the early season, and this is something that me and you I think do a relatively good job of, is maintain your preseason priors and be adjusting them quickly based on the information that like makes sense or doesn't make sense. Like I'll, I'll give you an example, right? Like little Chicago's one and two, they lost to, to UIC Tuesday night, bad loss. Like they looked terrible against FAU. They look you know, they obviously didn't play well to lose to UIC, but like everything about their first two losses have like, made zero sense based on their roster. Right. Like there are certain like, like like Michigan, you say, OK, well, here's here's how the, here's the path to like this working and it's working. So it's like, OK, like this makes sense. Let's quickly adjust. Right. With Loyola, I'm, I, I may have to because it's very possible they're not very good. But. The question marks have not really been the things that have struggled, that have been an issue for them. It's it's been like random other stuff on and so so are those individual games are those individual opponent performances right like again it's just so hard to know so you have you have to be as best you can adjust like keeping what you already thought for eight months about a roster on paper and then just using the stuff you're seeing and seeing how how well it aligns with your best and worst case scenarios for teams. I mean like for me so far looking at my top twenty five. I would move Arizona up. Yeah. As as we mentioned, I move Michigan State from like seven to maybe like twenty ish. Um. Then I would probably move Kentucky up a couple spots, not much. Where did Nova, you have Kentucky in the preseason? Remind me. Uh, I had them thirteen. Okay. Which, which might not be too bad, but um, USC, I'm keeping where they are. They didn't have Boogie Ellis or Kobe Johnson. Um, Villanova, I think I'd take them out of the top 25, so they've had the biggest fall. Um, but other than that, I might even leave St. Saint- Mary's in the top 25. 
Um, and then Maryland, I dropped down a little bit, but that, that's it. Everything else right now, I, I think I, I, I keep where it is. Right. Um, let's talk Champions Classic because we haven't really talked about any of the four teams. We talked to Arizona, but didn't really talk to Duke. Talk to. And that's the most like recent salient thing that everyone wants to will want opinions on. And I think all four teams you you've learned a lot from uh, in, in those games. Now, Brad, I know you were on the road for the first game. Um, oh, I mean, for six o'clock tip. I don't know how people in other time zones do it because you have to leave work early. You got to get to the game and then, and then you have to have dinner after the game, which means I missed most of Marquette, Illinois. Yeah. Or uh, Duke, Michigan State. Um, and then I got home. I watched the end of Marquette and then I screwed myself over. I was flipping back between Kansas and Kentucky and Creighton, Iowa. So I watched like half of each game. So I got like no insight from that. Like I didn't, I didn't even get to see Reed, Reed Shepard hit one shot. I saw him fling a three point over the backboard, but uh, I, I, I missed the whole Reed Shepard experience, but sorry, go on. You, you want to talk Duke? Yeah. So let's talk Duke, Michigan state, and then we'll talk Kansas, Kentucky. So on the Duke, Michigan state front, I thought I thought Duke like Duke was just the better team. They have more talent, um, and obviously Foster's impact was pretty substantial. I thought that Tyrese Proctor did a nice job of managing the game despite a slow start. You know, I think his confidence was really wavering uh, early on after struggling against Arizona and. You know, he made some pretty critical plays in the second half at six assists, no turnovers, played 38 minutes. Like, all you could really ask for from your point guard. Um, you know, I, I still like the flip at the five look, but I do think there's a lot of matchups, especially against teams that don't have overly athletic bigs, right? And Michigan State would be a good example of this, where Ryan Young just, just really helps them. I think he was a plus 24 in 23 minutes yesterday. I mean... His impact, just screening, being in the right spot, ceiling, like he, he, he is like the perfect like dirty work big guy. Um, and, and in a funny way, it's almost become a better Duke backup center than Theo John was, um, <laughs> which is crazy. But he was that good in that game. Um, you know, I, I think it's going to be different guys on different nights for Duke in the backcourt, right? Between Roach, Foster, McCain. And then Proctor to a lesser degree because he's always going to be on the floors as the as the team's point guard. Um, but I I think as long as they have flip and as long as they have guard depth, which they do, they're going to be a very good team. How do they ascend ascend to great? I think consistency shooting the basketball from three is big. I thought I, I think Proctor being like that All American is is huge. I, I have not been that impressed with Tyrese. Like I thought Tyrese played a good game on Tuesday night, but he was not the guy that people are saying is one of the 10 best players in the sport. Right. I'm not sure he was one of the five best players on the floor last night. Um, So to me, they need more from him. They need to shoot the ball better. And I think they need to kind of, they really miss having like a traditional wing. They just don't have it. Mark Mitchell is a power forward. Flip is a four or five. Stewart is a is a four or five. 
right? They have small guards and bigs, and that's it. And I think there's going to be moments where they miss that that wing spot. Um, and then on Michigan State, you know, I, I think Izzo Izzo is trying to remain kind of resolute and, and sit here and say, yeah, we you know we we need to do more. Um, like we 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 need. Like we, we need to just accept that like shots will eventually fall. We're taking good ones, but Michigan state, and we've talked about this in the off season. They're just a team that takes a lot of tough shots. Not a lot comes easy for Michigan state. They take more mid range than most teams. Their interior has become an even bigger problem. I mean, Madi Sissoko just is not good enough. Cooper might be. Booker might be. Maybe Jackson Kohler will help them. Kohler at least can score once he's healthy. I just think you look up and, like, there's just not a lot of guys that are threatening on the floor. Walker can score. Hall is very inconsistent. Hogard is inconsistent. I'm still waiting for Jaden Akins to move me, right? I mean, how many times have you heard Jaden Akins is a pro, Jaden Akins is a pro? Jaden Akins looks very average every time I watch Michigan State. And at some point, at some point, Jeremy Fierce is going to have to play more minutes than Trey Holloman. At some point, Cohen Carr is going to have to play more minutes than Monty Sissoko. At some point, Xavier Booker is going to have to play 15 minutes a game. Right? These guys need empowerment because not to say that Michigan State can't be good without them. They were a, they were a good basketball team last year. I'd imagine they'd be a similarly good basketball team this year you this year but there's they're they're not elevating they're not they're not going to be great they're not going to be near the top five if they just keep running it back with these old dudes starting with michigan state i think they'll be fine but like they didn't want to be fine they wanted to be a national title contender so i them seventh in the preseason as i said earlier i think maybe if I, had, if I had to do it over now, I'd move down like 21 or 22. It's, it's, the, the, the lack of production of the five spot is is really alarming because you figure a guy like Manny Sissoko was a top 50 recruit and waited his turn playing for this great coach, you know, big physical guy. You mentioned that they're not getting easy baskets. Well, the, the, the easiest way in college basketball to get an easy basket is an offensive rebound. You figure he, he'd be a factor there. Uh, but the, the lack of development and production there is, is so crazy. Um, and then the re- there is like this kind of weird uh, symmetry between these old, you know, like the like the, the, the legends will say, like, like your Tom Izzo or like especially like Jim Beheim that like didn't want to use a bench. At, well, well, Izzo... To, Beheim didn't didn't want to trust the young guys and didn't didn't want to use the bench. Izzo will use the bench, but as you said, he likes playing these Carson Coopers and Trey Hollemans and Tum Tum Nairn and Ben Carters um, and Kenny Goins and stuff like that. Uh, oh, over the young guys, and then you got like your Shire is playing, you know, like Sean Stewart like two minutes a game. Um, so. All, all the Michigan State talking point, like, they're all like, oh, we, we need the young guys. We need the young guys. I don't know. 
but like the, the only young guy trade that you can like reasonably make, right, is either just throwing Xavier Booker in at the five or putting Jeremy Fears over AJ Hogard, which seems very reactionary for a guy who's played like a million minutes for you. I mean, if nothing else, you could get just Jeremy Fears to 20 minutes by getting rid of the Holloman minutes. You could get yeah. Cohen Carr to 20 minutes by um, playing Sissoko a little bit less and playing small small with Carr, Carr and Hall as the four and the five, right? Like, these guys just aren't earning – like, none of the guys who are vets are earning the minutes that they're getting, in my mind. And, and look, I, I think the biggest problem for Michigan State right now – full like, everyone's going to blame young guys, whatever. To me, the biggest problem is that they just – the center position is a zero. Right. The the Madi Sissoko Drew Timmy game is a distant memory at this point. And then is it but, but, but like the James James Madison game especially, right? I got home for that for the for the overtime. And the the play that wins James Madison the game is Cohen Carr helps one pass away. Gives open a wide open three. It was eerily similar to Villanova at Michigan State last year, where Angelo Brizzy helps one pass away. Boom, Michigan State wins it off, off off an open three that way. And I say that to point out that the young guys are having some warts as well. And now maybe you say, well, okay, one Cohen card defensive mistake. State doesn't make up for like 10 missed shots from Malik Hall or something. But I I can see why they're sticking with the old guys, I guess. No, I understand it. I guess the thing for me that's hard to get my brain around is I just <laughs> – I think at some point, right, like you can't sit there and just keep saying, well, these guys keep making mistakes, so we're kind of in trouble um, because we can't play the freshmen because they make too many mistakes, but then lose because the veterans aren't good enough, right? Like, right, and like to, to be clear, you, you have to play Xavier Booker more than five minutes a game. I don't care how bad he's doing. Right. You, you just you, you, There's no way he's going to get better. Like five minutes a game, right. you got to get him into that ten to fifteen at least. Like Michigan State was losing to Duke on Tuesday, regardless of whether Xavier Booker played ten minutes or five. So find a way to get him on the floor, right? Because I'd rather see if he's ready to be something by March. Right, Monty Sissoko is not going to get worse. You, you got to let these guys breathe. I mean. It's tough, but I I still think Michigan State's gonna be fine. It is interesting though. B- Butler is on a, a by game heater right now. Yes, they've moved up like thirty five spots in Ken Palm over these nine days. There seems like at least for now that they have a, a some the the holes greater than the sum of the parts kind of thing going right now. We'll see how that translates at Michigan State, but for you know. A team that's struggling, that's not shooting well. As as you mentioned, they get nothing from the five spot, which is a spot you you might be able to take advantage of 
uh, of Butler. That could really uh, escalate the uh, discourse if Butler can pull off an upset there. If there was ever a way to heat up a narrative, it would be Pierre Brooks beating. Yeah. <laughs> beating because you, you were just saying that they could use a wing. Man. Um, all right, to Duke, your thoughts on, on this team between the two? They don't look like the most talented team in the country, which I declared them as a clear most talented team in the country in, in, in the preseason. And I think part of that is, again, with this lack of trust to some of these guys, um, it, TJ Power has two DNPs and three games. Sean Stewart's barely playing. Caleb Foster barely playing against Arizona. Um, they're just kind of stuck on these like six or seven guys, which should be good enough. But you mentioned Proctor ha- hasn't taken the leap. I, I I ranked him as a basically a second team All American in the preseason, um, and he he's not taken that jump yet. I think my Braden Smith, Tyrese Proctor take is is approaching vindication. Like Braden that's, Smith, that's, that's really counting your chickens. But Braden Smith has objectively been better than Proctor so uh, far. Through through three games, Braden Smith is like objectively the better player still. Yeah. And you know, you would text me, and my friend was saying at the exact same time, "What's going on with Mark Mitchell's jump shot?" I mean, this is a guy. Who, who at least hit some last year. He started at the three last year. Uh, and his, his his jump shot looks ridiculous right now. Um, but at the end of the day, even with a couple question marks with the depth and Proctor's jump and Mitchell, um, Filipowski was unbelievable against Arizona. He's just such a yeah. matchup nightmare. Um, he's like a Henry Ellenson who can hit shots. Um, and Jeremy Roach... Still, still very good, and McCain's going to hit shots. And again, Duke, Duke will be fine, M- maybe even great. But I, I am regretting declaring them the, the by far most talented team in the country. They just look good, good, you know, good top five, ten, how, however you want to call good, good for Duke, uh, but not overwhelming. So I guess that transitions us to the preseason number one team in the country, Kansas, and their matchup with Kentucky. And this was kind of the perfect game in the sense that, like, you probably watched Kansas and were, like, pretty underwhelmed for 40 minutes. And then you looked at me like, well, they just beat a really good team. Like, they found a way. And that's going to be them this year. Right. There's going to be some ugly moments, right? The fact that Jamari McDowell was when was in the closing lineup just because self seemed to trust him to screw shit up a little bit less um, was like hard to fathom. But that was that's where they're at. And. It took everything. It took a triple double from McCuller. It took. Five made threes from Dewan Harris. It took twenty seven and twenty one from Hunter Dickinson. It took a really good KJ Adams game. Like their core four guys were terrific. And that was enough to win them the ball game. It's why they're going to win a million games. It's why they're going to win the big 12. It's why they're going to be a top two seed in the NCAA tournament. But you also watch, you're like, all right, like after these four guys, it's trouble, right? Like 
Johnny Furphy will will have some moments in his career, I think. But the one and done, oh, he's a superstar thing should slow down. He's not ready. Marco Jackson was brutal in this game. Nick Timberlake was worse. Like at, at one point, it went up because he had to play in the closing lineup out of necessity because of KJ fouling out and McCuller being in foul trouble. But at one point, Nick Timberlake had played t- 10 minutes and was a minus 20. Like, he was brutal. So you basically have four elite players, one rotating spot, all of guys that have not proven to do anything yet, and then Parker Parker Braun to come in for Adams and uh, and Dickinson whenever they need a breather. That's the team. And now they could obviously use Morris. But, like, for what Kansas needs from that fifth starter, because, okay, we're saying Adams and Dickinson, McCullough and Harris. We know what they are. We, we, we know what they're getting. But everything else that they need, they have in unproven quantities. Like, oh, we need a little more scoring pop. Well, El, El Marco Jackson is supposed to be one of the best scorers in this 2023 recruiting class. Oh, we could use a spot-up shooter. I mean, every team wanted Nick Timberlake in the portal. I don't really get what's going on with him so far. But, like, he was the, the highest level of coveted portal guy. He he was one of the guys that had, like, 50 teams after him. I mean, Towson was pretty good last year. Right. Really good shooter. You know, nothing there. And then, oh, we we could use a bigger wing. Well, that's Furphy. And now Furphy's interesting because I, I heard you saying yesterday that uh, in, in your limited Furphy viewing, he didn't pop for you. The story with Furphy is he was a 2023 recruit. In the spring, he only had mid-major offers. Yes. So he's like, you know, I'm going to 2024. And it's immediately, like, exploded. And then everyone's like, okay, this guy's a top 40 recruit. And then he was like, well, actually, now, now that I've exploded, I'm going back to 2023. And Kansas gets him. Uh, I, I know the 24-7 guys are super high on Furphy. So, so I think that, that, that fifth starter is just going to take time. But between Jackson, Furphy, and Timberlake... It's on pedigree and what those guys have been and should be. That should be enough for Kansas to be a title contender. Yeah, I think that's probably right. And I just I just can't believe how bad Timberlake looks. Right? Again, this guy's been a part of winning. Like, I was with Goodman, and we were bashing Timberlake because he's playing terrible. And Goodman, Goodman goes, yeah, like, I don't even know if he's that good of a shooter. I said, Jeff, like, he made 92 threes at 42% last year. And it wasn't a fluke because the year before he made 78 threes at 41%. Like the dude can flat out shoot the basketball. So I don't know if he sped up. I don't know if it's a confidence issue, whatever the case may be. They just, you, you, you would think playing next to Dewan Harris, Kevin McCullough and Hunter Dickinson, you know, you would, that, that would be a dream shooting lineup for him, but yeah. We'll say it, it, it's still early. I'm, I'm not giving up on him by by any means. Um, I, I can't number six in the preseason. Probably leave him around that same spot right now. Um, and then to Kentucky, right? I mean, 
I said this in my article. There's no moral victories at Kentucky, right? Like the the Kentucky fan reaction to yesterday's game is generally going to be knowing Kentucky fans, it's going to be Cal screwed up the substitutions. They didn't play, you know, they didn't play Dillingham and Shepard early enough in that second half run. The last play was terribly was terribly run. You know, got a terrible look. You know, here here's all the things we did wrong, right? But you also look up and like think about what it took to beat them last night. If they looked like the more explosive, more dynamic team, um, think about what it took to beat them. It took Harris making five threes. It took um, Honor going off. It took you know Wagner and Edwards shooting one for eighteen. It took Reeves missing three open threes down the stretch. Like that game was so winnable. Like I think if if that script is played out ten times. Kentucky wins eight of those games and it just wasn't their night, but man, is it an entertaining team to watch with the way that they're able to create space with their guards and get downhill, tack the rim, shoot threes. I mean, there are not a lot of teams that you can really think of in college basketball that play the way that Kentucky played yesterday, let alone a Calipari team who has gotten so much criticism for, Oh, they take the air out of the ball. They play boring, right? Like, it is open open season, right? Like Robert Dillingham, go shoot the rock. Reed Shepard, go shoot the rock. Antonio Reeves shot 25 balls in 34 minutes yesterday. Like NBA players don't shoot 25 balls a night. I thought I thought Fierro was good. You know, they need one more of these bigs back just to have another body. But I like the Mitchell at the five look. I really do. Because it's it keeps Fierro at the four. It keeps Edwards or three guards in the game at one, two, three. And when they do that, they're going to be really, really tough. I truly like, like I thought Kentucky might be a title contender. I left yesterday very confident that Kentucky is a title contender. Yeah. I think the most encouraging thing is guys like Tierro and Shepard and Dillingham who were, maybe everyone didn't write off all three of them, but I bet everyone was writing off at least two of them for this year. You know, like, I don't think everyone was like, I think all three of those guys are going to be really good. Yeah, you know, the guys in Shepard's range as a recruiting rank really don't ever pop at Kentucky as freshmen. Dillingham had a bad summer. He looked like he was behind Wagner. Um, and then, Tierro, you know, those those glue guys very rarely stick around and make a major impact at uh, Kentucky as well. Uh, but you're right. I mean, the the front court injuries really opened it up, allows Tierro to start, gives Dillingham and, and uh, Shepard some more room to play. I am doubtful, though, that when the bigs come back that Cal's going to stick with this small ball lineup. Oh, he was already setting it up, too. Like, in the postgame, he goes, the great thing is that they're not just bigs. They're basketball players. They're seven foot two, but they're basketball players. They can do the same stuff. I was like, no, they can't. Like, you know that he's going to play Jaden Cadence at the four next year. Oh, thousand percent. 
there's 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 no no way around that. But I I guess let's uh let's enjoy the three point barrage while we have it. But you know, you know people were, were ragging on Reeves for his shooting. You know, a lot of those were open shots. He he's he's the best scorer on the team probably. So you know, I think I'm fine with that. But Ed, Edwards and Wagner need to get going. It seems like people are more confident confident that Edwards will get going than Wagner. I uh, saw so on Sam Vecini's championship classic column. He he only designated one player as their NBA stock went down last night, and it was Wagner. And he was basically like, yeah, all all preseason people have been telling me that Wagner is no good. Um, so we'll see. He was rough. I mean, he got very sped up. His finishing was poor. I mean, that was not pretty. I think that does it for the Champions Classic. I'm trying. Correct. I mean, we can move to Villanova if 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 you would like, because I watched the whole second half on Monday. Let's talk Villanova. Give, give us your take. It's their defense. Their defense. It looked like any Indiana's defense against Army. Just the Penn guys. They got wherever they wanted. It made me think that they should put in Archie Diacono again. Um, it, it's it's crazy. I mean, I guess Armstrong is just a FIBA guy. Him and. Uh, Francisco Cafaro on the all 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 FIBA team. Um, Bamba was brutal. I mean, Lance Ware and Hakeem Hart. I'm sure they're enjoying their paychecks, but like, they were completely. Like, they barely even play. Um, Hakeem Dixon, Hart being behind Brandon Housen and Jordan Longino is wild. Longino's good. I mean, he got hurt last year. He's not better than Hakeem Hart though. You wouldn't think. I mean, Hart was a G League. You know, the reason why I was so high on this Villanova team, and I said even Kyle Neptunes can't can't screw this up, was because I was like, you know what? They actually weren't that bad last year. You know, they they were middle of the pack, Big East when when Justin Moore came back and they were all healthy, and it was a weird fit. You know, with Whitmore being with all the jump stop guys like like Caleb Daniels and Eric Dixon and stuff. Um, and I looked at this team here with a, a lot more fit in mind. And a lot more talent, like between Burton, Hakeem Hart, and Bamba, I thought those were three fringe NBA players. Um, but there's no adjustment, and, and the biggest surprise that I said is the defense. The defense is non-existent. I didn't th- when I looked at this lineup, I was like one through four. This defense is gonna be awesome. Yeah, Eric Dixon sucks at the five, at you know any any sort of either moving his feet or rim protection. Uh, but one one through four, I thought that would be a, a a very good defense and it was brutal and they were stymied by the zone. They had no idea what to do. Brendan Housen took some like beyond wild shots. Um, and Kyle Neptune's career is unraveling before our eyes. Yeah, this is a bad one, right? And at the end of the day, it's, it's one that you can come back from, but it's the warning signs, right? I mean, it's, Six assists in an entire game. I mean, I understand that Penn, like like Penn was playing a zone and not a good zone, right? Like this should not be rocket science to break down. And I get that they're kind of funky at the point guard spot right now, but it can't be your turn, my turn. They need these wings to to mesh together. I mean, Hart, talk about a guy who would make all the sense in the world to. Just get a get get a redo on this whole 
uh, transfer situation. Like it, we actually we, we actually should do this as a midseason episode. The uh, the transfer mulligans, the guys who wish they could go back where they came from. Um, I mean, we have a couple people that are stuck. Like Jackson Pavletsky for Ohio, for uh, Iowa State. He, like, what the hell is that guy gonna do? He was he was supposed to be very good. He's in the same class as Lipsy, right? Yeah. Gil- Gilbert has eligibility. <laughs> it's like uh, he's not in, in in the rotation right now. Uh, same with Jonathan Lawson for Creighton. I'm not gi- I'm not giving up on those guys, but like Jonathan Lawson's in DMPs. He's behind Farabello and Josiah Dotzler in the Creighton rotation. Like what what on earth? But but anyway. Maryland could really use Maryland could really use Hakeem Hart right now. Yeah. <laughs> so we we were talking in our uh, Friars group chat though that Castro's looked better than Lance Ware so far this year, which is interesting. Um, anyway, I always thought Lance Ware was like legit good. He's 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 supposed to be this. He's supposed to be like a um, – trying to think of a good NBA comparison. Like I, – I can't even think of one, but he, he, he's supposed to have a little more perimeter game than he's ever showed. He's now just like a five who can pass and plays really hard. Anyway. Yes. So, yeah, that's – Villanova's a problem. That Maryland game will be interesting on Friday. Maryland also needs to win. I'm not super overreacting to that game, but or to, to that start, but it is kind of notable, like talent level wise. And we talked about it. Like they just, you look around. There's a lot of guys who are like, this guy's playing this many minutes for Maryland. They don't have a ton of depth. Kaiser has been a little quiet to start the year. Guy that I loved. A guy that I think you had to buy into a little bit. Geronimo is not being a non-shooter is a problem, I think, for this group. So you got Noah Bachelor playing big minutes, and I'm not sure Noah Bachelor is good enough to be playing big minutes. And people really put the cart before the horse with Deshaun Harris Smith. I watched one of his high school games recently. Um, he was on a loaded team that had Patrick Ngongba and Isaiah Abraham and all these guys. He, he didn't do it for me. He very ball dominant. I compared him to kind of to like the guard version of Shabazz Muhammad. He plays super hard. He plays a thousand miles an hour, but it was just kind of wild and too alpha for what he was going into here on a team that's that's returning three like borderline all Big Ten level guys. Yeah. Um, yeah I agree. Anyway. And, and one of the best point guards in the country. He couldn't. He couldn't be the only like addition, I think. Right. Especially when you were losing two starters in Don Carey and Hakeem Hart. And I'm not. I'm not giving up on Maryland. Like Davidson's probably better than I gave them credit for. And UAB, I had them like like 54th. That would be like if Maryland lost at home or, or lost on a neutral to like Rutgers. Like who cares? Um but I, I had Maryland twenty fourth in the preseason. I if I had to redo it, I'd put them probably in the thirties, you know, maybe mid thirties. I, I I I'm not totally uh jumping off the ship. I still think they have talent. 
it's just I guess I guess the fit. You know, I I, I liked the Jordan Jordan Geronimo edition because he can play the four and you can slide Scott to the five, you know, give them a different look. But when Kaiser and Harris Smith and Bachelor aren't giving you anything, then you're just playing this kind of jumbo lineup. Um I, I thought maybe he could channel some Jared Roden at Seton Hall, but he's not that level of score yet or ever. So I will throw out one thought pro one one thought here. And it stems from something that Shire said in the post game yesterday about Duke, but I think it's probably relatable for a lot of teams and something that probably gets overlooked. Duke brought back four starters and Ryan Young, right? Theoretically they could have started five returning players. But Shire said, look, like we we have a lot of some familiar faces, but we're playing a, a much different way. And part of that is the flip to the five stuff. Part of that is, um, you know, Proctor now officially being like the full time point guard playing with three small guards. Right. Like all that stuff. So it's going to take them time. He felt like, all right, like there's this assumption that we're a finished product. and We're not. And I think that maybe for teams that were bringing a good amount back, there's been a little bit too much. Oh, like Maryland today is Maryland in March because Jameer Young, Dante Scott, and Julian Reese are still there. Maybe. Maybe Maryland disappoints. But there is still room to grow for all of these teams as guys grow into roles guys adapt to new roles, right? Like it seems like Maryland's trying to play a little bit more through Reese as a passer. That's going to take time, right? Like we got to stop writing obituaries here. Yeah. Cool it on the heart to hearts. One, uh, I, I guess switching gears to the injury note, losing steel venters for Gonzaga was sneaky, huge. Yeah. They are now, Kind of in a similar position to like Maryland, where it's like, all right, Dusty Stromer, I hope you're ready. Let's uh, hit some threes now. They have literally no backcourt depth at all. Braden Huff has been awesome. He's probably been be- better than Graham E.K. Um, Watson, I think, played some three the other night. I'm not sure if that was with Huff or Greg at the four. Uh, but... Gonzaga is basically down to seven guys in, in 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 the rotation and just the three perimeter players. Are we moving off Gonzaga at all, or do we think the WCC is going to insulate them? I do think the WCC will insulate them. I also think it's at least notable that Nolan Hickman has started relatively strong. Because if there has been growth with, with Nolan, then they have two good guards, and they got a deep stable of bigs. Because EK plus Huff plus Greg plus Watson is pretty impressive. So I think it will be challenging for them at times. And I think they are now one injury away from being really in trouble, right? Like, they legitimately do – like, unless – like this Luka Krajnovich kid really steps up. And based on his four turnovers in 20 minutes against Eastern Oregon, I'm guessing he's not trending towards doing that. Like, 
they are one like Nolan Hickman sprained ankle from being completely funky. I mean, my my only counter to that, and it's my go-to reaction whenever anyone mentions the possibility of injuries derailing your team, is that like everyone is screwed with injuries. Like USC with Ellison Johnson out with presumably minor injuries, like got handed to them by UC Irvine. Like you know, Xavier obviously lost. Not only Jerome Hunter and Zach Fremantle, but then their replacement power forward, Djokovic, has been out. So, like, at some point, no one's insulated to injuries, but um, Gonzaga is kind of on the extreme end there with only two ball handlers left on the roster. Good thing that they're both very good. But, um, well, both Kansas and Gonzaga had kind of similar off-seasons in that they just had so much, like, random turnover, right? Like... Gonzaga had the Marcus Adams thing happen. Which Marcus Adams, Marcus Adams would have played at both Kansas and Gonzaga. <laughs> Correct. Marcus Adams might have been in the game to close the, to close the other day. Yeah. <laughs> um, you had Caden Perry retire. You had Malachi Smith just decide that an Exhibit 10 was better than college basketball, right? Like, there's just been a lot of weird stuff like Hunter Salas, like Hunter Salas made probably a good decision to go be the guy, but Hunter Salas going to come back and play 20 plus minutes a game on a top 15 team and turn down that role. No, I, no, no arguments there. So it will be interesting. I mean, well, and, and this is probably a good, good, good chance to start looking ahead to these MTs because the only other team I really wanted to talk about was Purdue. We can talk about them in, in terms of Maui, right? So, so the Maui field, Gonzaga, Marquette, Purdue, UCLA, Kansas, Tennessee, Syracuse, and Chaminade. Get Chaminade out of there. That is, that is ridiculous. I feel bad for Chaminade. Although Syracuse Chaminade is going to bang. <laughs> um so who who would be your choice right because i think the common thinking will be it's marquette it's tennessee and it's purdue because of their experience you want my pick to win it yeah I went with Tennessee in the uh, Silver Store game. I think that defense, you know, I'm a huge Jonas Adu guy, and Dalton Connect has taken a step where he looks like an All-American, basically, at this point. Um, And and with guys like James and Ganey playing really well, you know, they have, like, eight or nine, like, really good guys that, that you can trust. The high-end talent would connect. Their defense is going to be awesome. I'm going there with Tennessee. I think they can match up really well, um, specifically with with Hunter Dickinson on Kansas. I think they could punish Marquette on the glass. And I think um, against Gonzaga, they're going to wear out the two the two guards there, Nemhard and Hickman. 
and against Purdue is probably the, the toughest one, but they can, you know, really speed up Smith and Lawyer like Arkansas did in the preseason exhibition. So I think my I think Tennessee is the team that has the most ways to beat you right now, right? They can grind you out a little bit defensively. They can get into you with their um, small guards on the perimeter. They can let neck kick, you know, kick your butt on the, on the wing. They can overwhelm you with size and physicality with um, Adu and Awaka, right? Like they're a very impressive team. And it would not surprise me at all if they won this thing. One of my main concerns would be, you're playing three games in three days. And I think they're going to have to really measure Zakai's minutes. And I know you have Jordan Ganey. He was really good um, early on. But I also think you're going to want him. You're, you're, you're going to want Zakai on the floor in these types of moments. You just are. But, I don't disagree with that, but like in, in uh, terms of the depth, I mean, we touched on Kansas and Gonzaga's kind of depth question marks, and Marquette looks like in a high-level high game, Kolek, Jones, and Oso got to be on the court. Um, and Kolek is still dealing with the sprained ankle. I know he played awesome against Illinois, but... Yeah. So, I mean, Purdue ripped through PK last year. Kind of in a similar spot. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see Purdue lose. Right? Like, I would love a Purdue-Tennessee matchup. I, I think that would be the game that would tell us the most about who's the best team in the country. Right? Because I think Kansas is somewhat of a known commodity at this point. I'm excited to see how they handle it, but I think they're somewhat known. Um, I wish UCLA got to play this in two months because I think they'll be in different shape, right? Like I think, I think UCLA is probably going to struggle this week, right? Well, they're not getting anything from a, a day Mariah yet. Like right. they've they've still still have the uh, training wheels on there. They're starting Bona and Kenny Nawuba together, which I did not expect. Uh, when talking about UCLA a few weeks ago, still still nothing on Bear K yet. So they're they're young. They're a little undermanned right now. I think if yeah if if this was further along, this this is the exact type of team that could give Marquette a lot of trouble because they could really pound them on the glass. Um, but, but I think Marquette gets by them there. Kansas Marquette. Uh, Hunter Dickinson could go 30 and 30. If he was, was he 20 something and 20 last night? Yeah. 30 and 30 could be on the table against that Marquette front line. It's very, yeah. I mean, both of us talk a lot about the game where Klingon just destroyed Oso last year. And it doesn't mean Marquette can't win the game because they usually get it back on the other end. But Shaka is going to have to get creative to slow that thing down because. Oso, Ben Gold, none of those guys can handle a one-on-one. And I, I have yet to see a full Marquette game. I was obviously in transit coming home from Providence last night. Missed the Marquette, Illinois, you know, most of that game. Um, but 
I've, I've, I've watched the Matthew Loves Ball for Marquette, and I've looked at their box scores, and I've been stunned by how little they're getting off the complimentary pieces. Joplin especially. I thought this would be kind of a big four for Marquette with Joplin in there scoring the ball. I thought there was potential that Joplin could be their leading scorer. I thought Cam Cam Jones would be the leading scorer, but but, but Joplin was a legit possibility. And so far, it's just been that three-man group with Jones, Kolek, and Oso. Joplin hasn't gotten going. The much-promised Stevie Mitchell offensive breakout hasn't happened yet. And Sean Jones, Chase Ross, Ben Gold look good, but they're still role players at this point. Yeah, like, I think, I don't know if it was over-optimism on, like, the just shock a player development or, or what, but I do think that that was definitely something, like, I, I, I would say, I think everyone has to be a little bit surprised that no one has really stepped up beyond. But I will say, Kolick looks better than I remember. Me too. Like, the way he controlled that game against Illinois, especially in the first half, I mean, he was incredible. And if you have three elite players, right? I mean, Kolick, Cam Jones, and Oso, you're going to be pretty darn good. And I'm not... I'm not you know, jumping off the ship of their other five rotation guys. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if David Joplin has some huge games in uh, Maui or Vegas, Maui. Um, but j- just interesting note thus far, given the expectation. Yeah, I, I was thinking we were going to get one, one breakthrough guy, right? Like we were going to look up and like, oh, Chase Ross is awesome now. That hasn't really been what the, the reality has been yet. Are we moving to other MTEs here? Sure, yeah. How about uh, the, the Baja Mar Bahamas Classic? I don't even know the field. This is what Providence, K-State. Yeah. Who else is in this? Uh, Miami and Georgia. Feels and... like it's winnable. Yeah, I mean, Providence, Miami, Kansas State are all pretty even in the analytics, and that Georgia's a, you know, 20 spots below them. Obviously, Providence has got to beat Kansas State to, you know, get get rid of Georgia, you know, get a, a rematch with Miami after Miami handled them in their MTE year prior. I do think Georgia will stay top 100 this year. So it's a guaranteed quad two. Last year we said that about St. Louis, and I was watching them go from 102 to 96 every, every three days. Um going from a Q2 loss to a Q3 loss. Um, but so Providence dominated Wisconsin. It, it, for, for me, it was very, very predictable because Providence is so athletic this year. Chucky Hepburn and AJ Stoll were completely shut down until garbage time. Um, Stephen Crowell looked completely lost confidence-wise. John, John Blackwell looked good. The rest of the Wisconsin role guys were like complete non-factors. It was a beatdown. Um, they're not. Providence isn't going to be able to overwhelm Kansas State with their athleticism. You know, for all the warts of Arthur Kaluma, he's a very good defender. He's a very good athlete. Um, Tomlin looks 
to be out still. I know Goodman said they're they're waiting on the legal uh, situation to be resolved, so th- I I wouldn't think he'd play this weekend. But that's that's a big lit a uh, big litmus test game for both sides. Because I mean, Kansas State, you know, Perry's awesome. Kaluma's been very disappointing, and they got to make up that USC loss uh, with some quality wins this weekend. Yeah, they they didn't look the part against USC. No. But on paper, that that Kansas State defense, no, no, more so when Tomlin gets back. But it, it should right. be elite, like right. absolutely that's elite. The, that's the thing, though. Without Tomlin, who's your best defender? How good a defensive team are you? Because, and Gasson is not like an elite rim protector. Carter's good on the ball. Perry's very small. Kaluma's a good defender. But like, yeah, I mean. I'm I'm interested to see how these bench guys step up for K State. They're Will starting McNair. to get a little bit more. F- former Friar Will McNair. Yeah. Ten and seven on a uh, on Monday against South Dakota State. And then for for Miami, I mean they they were playing around with Florida International the other day, but I, I'm I'm still buying this you know, really good starting lineup. Wuga Poplar looks like he's taking the jump. We know Pack and Norchad are very good players, so um, I think my Miami is probably the best team in the, in that field. Gun, gun to my head, um, I think Providence might match up better with Miami than Kansas State because the Miami defense shouldn't be that strong. But I guess we'll see. I'm hoping for. Uh, obviously for a Providence Miami final and a Providence win there. Uh, battle for Atlantis, obviously a big deal. Curious yourself here. I mean, there's a ton of interesting teams in this one. To me, the team I'm probably most looking forward to seeing in is North Carolina. I was going to say Texas Tech. Ooh, I like Texas Tech. They, you know, they 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 had a little buy game issue the, the other night, but um, I'm. I'm really liking this Pop Isaacs Tucson backcourt. I love Warren Washington. I think he he was one of the most underrated transfers on, on the board. And uh, Darian Williams is, is a terrific glue guy. So I'm looking forward to uh, just how good Texas Tech is. But you were saying UNC. I'm sure for the Hubert and uh, roster uh, cohesion factor. Yeah, like, I, I just think, like, it's so early for them. They've had some bright moments. They've also kind of let some of these bye games hang around a little longer than I think people expected. Um, you know, what what are the role allocation with the guards? What is the role allocation with the bigs? Um, it seems like people are very excited about Zayden High. People also seem very com- excited about Jalen Washington. There's really only room for one of them. Um it seems like James Aconquo would be another on our mulligan list. That was that was a clear one at the time. I was like, wait, this guy's going to UNC? Like, what is the what is the transfer well, market doing? The thing that was particularly striking about that was like, if you were doing that, you had to think that like Zayden High and Jalen Washington sucked. Right. And you were like, here's just a guy who like has played high major basketball and we know doesn't suck. I mean. Mo- Mohammed Wegu to Alabama was kind of similar. 
Although I think Mo Wagyu is starting over uh, starting over Nick Pringle. I think the the last time I checked their box score, it was very unclear as to what their front court rotation actually was. And they were either playing Walters or Stevenson or, or Nelson at the three for like a decent chunk. Well, yesterday so again, they beat South Alabama 102 to 46. Um, South Alabama's metrics are inflated right now because you don't you don't you don't drop any spots for losing to a non-one in oof. Ten Palm, um, which they did. They did blow out Buffalo, but Buffalo is really bad. So. Um, Alabama beat like a top 150 team by 50, 50 points yesterday. They started Pringle, but Wagyu played 16 minutes and Pringle only played 18. They 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 split the minutes down the middle in this game though. They played Sears 23, Estrada 21, Nelson 18, Pringle 18, Griffin 17, Wrightsell 23, Stevenson 17, Cro- uh, Davin Cosby 16, Sam Walter 16, Wagyu 16. And Muhammad Diabate, 10. Remember when uh, Kansas State lost to a D2 team? No. When was this? You, you don't remember that? I think that was the, the last year of Bruce Weber. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I know. I, I remember now, yeah. Anyway. Um, we were on... We were talking about uh, Carolina. Uh, not, yeah, we got uh, oh, 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 Okongu to Wegu to Alabama. Okay. Um, that time well, I'm also interested in Memphis there. I I was surprised that pe- people um I think people were inflating Missouri. So when Memphis really knocked the crap out of them, and that that was Missouri without Connor Vanover, who I'm not sure. Helps, but probably the starting center. He probably doesn't um, hurt. Right. M- Memphis beat the crap out of them. Really, I think, inflated the Memphis validation. Kind of similar to Florida Atlantic beating Loyola. And I saw a lot of people taking the victory lap. Like, oh, Florida Atlantic's here to stay. Um, like, what if, Lo- what if Loyola stinks? Kind of how I felt about that Memphis-Missouri game. Um, but, you know, they are super old. They do seem to, at least through through, through one game, gel pretty well. I know uh, Quinterly played pretty well in that game. I didn't watch a ton of that game. I watched like five minutes, and then I was like, all right, this is over. Um, but yeah, that's that that's a really interesting one. I I think Michigan should win that one, but that 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 is a lot more juice than it did about a month ago. Yes. Um. Very yeah, very interested in Atlantis and in Maui. I think those tournaments being kind of back to back is is awesome for the sport. Um, ESPN events I think will be interesting enough. That field Iowa State has looked really good against really bad teams, um, so that I think will be uh, they they're an interesting team. Obviously FAU gets its first high major tests. Um, so far so good with them, but as you said, we're kind of anchored on what we think of the teams that they played and the teams that they played might not be very good. Um, the other teams in that A&M off to a solid start, beat Ohio state, beat SMU, um, Boise state, Penn state and Virginia tech VCU. And you can still get Butler 35 to one to win that tournament. 
which like if Butler is to just take a sneaky wagon, might not be the worst way to spend money. The, the only issue there is they're on the same side of the bracket as A and M and Florida Atlantic, right? Where I'm not scared at all of Virginia Tech or VCU or Boise, really. Bo- right, Boise's but, probably but, the best but, team on that Butler, side, right? Butler being three three times worse odds than VCU to win the tournament doesn't sit right. No, I, no, because VCU obviously they, what they they pulled pulled away from Radford today, but they were. They lost to who? Samford? No, McNeese. McNeese. Yeah, that that is a sneaky Thanksgiving one as well. Um, we have tomorrow is Charleston, which Houston should, you know, waltz to to to, to the title there. I watched. 11 minutes, the final 11 minutes of LSU Nichols on Friday. It was a hilarious game. Both those teams were horrible. LSU has no shooting at all. Like, none. Like, I, I can't express enough how mis- I, I was so wrong having them as an NIT team. Like, that roster is completely jumbled. Damian Collins was playing the five g- Giving them nothing for whatever reason. Will Will Baker was glued to the bench the whole time. Basically, Hannibal and Mike Williams just like trying to fly to the rim, and a Jordan Wright too. They're just like barreling to the rim. They they have no shooting, and Nichols punched them in the mouth early, and then was able to withstand the comeback because LSU can't score. This may have been a situation where, like, Damian Collins, we, 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 we kind of forgot that Damian Collins sucked because he was a highly touted recruit and had, like, an excuse theoretically for why he sucked. Should we be worried about these Kentucky transfers? Now, Hop has worked out, obviously. Yeah. But Lance Ware, Damian Collins... Just blame Cal. It's all Cal's fault. Yeah. It's Cal's fault. Um, but yeah, so LSU, um, I, I I then watched a chunk of Northwestern Dayton, and Dayton did, didn't blow me away, and their starting point guard, Malachi Smith, is done for the year again. Yeah. Um, so their their depth has, you know, taken an, a, another hit as well. And Daron Holmes is like handling the ball a ton. He wants to shoot a ton of jumpers. Like this, this is just a, a a disaster waiting to happen. And then we mentioned St. John's looked like crap. They they might not even get by North Texas. Who knows? I actually think St. John's is gonna blow out North Texas. This is the classic. They, 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 call they can't take advantage of their lack of speed. You think? It's wake up call Patino game. He's gonna scream at them in practice for. Three days, they're gonna come down hating his guts and play their dicks off. It is crazy how the national media has ended the Rick Pitino honeymoon after one game. <laughs> like it went from this guy can do no wrong. St. John's is like a sneaky Final Four team. They're in the top 25. To they lose one game, it's all right. St. John's isn't making the dirty this year. Big East is screwed. Like, oh my god. Um, oh, and then the. Last game on in Charleston is Utah Wake. 
Which both bo- both Utah teams, Utah and BYU, look pretty good so far. They're blowing out by games. BYU, we're as we record this, is like destroying a by game. They're playing southeastern Louisiana, who theoretically is not like that bad a by. They were up fifty-two to seventeen at halftime. Yeah, so I I, I actually game. picked. B- I actually picked BYU for my eliminator challenge pick this week because I didn't think think that 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 they were very good. But the fact that Southeast Louisiana hung in with Auburn a couple of days ago gave me a little pause. And I was like, you know what? I'll just risk it and take BYU. Um, and yeah, they look really good. Um, they also beat San Diego State o- over the weekend as well. Um, yeah, that was that was also impressive. I remain pretty down on San Diego State. I want to see him again. I had them, I think, 35 or 36 in the preseason, but, um, I mean, New New Mexico looked like crap too. So that 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 league is pretty open. If uh, Isaiah Stevens is gonna, you know, what was his line over the weekend? 22 points on 8 of 9 shooting, 14 assists. And he did that in less than 30 minutes. He's averaging 20 and 10 right now for the season. Colorado State's offense might, like, be beyond filthy. And then speaking of Eliminator Challenge, you made the correct pick last week with Georgetown. That was, like, objectively the correct pick. I didn't go there because I knew in my heart of hearts, Ed Cooley does not care about buy games. Georgetown sucks, and they don't care. Holy Cross is getting them, and it was it was a perfect outcome. It, it made my weekend. After Province was shaky against Milwaukee, I got home for the second half of Georgetown Holy Cross, and it was beautiful. That was a that was certainly a score. Like, all right, we're doing this again. And the good down. thing is that Jaden Epps pretended like he was like gonna lose lose a limb and was back in the game five minutes later for them today. So Yeah. I have it on mute here in the background. They're down fourteen right now to Rutgers, which honestly was a little closer than I thought that that, that they would get today. You but, thought they'd get blown out? Yeah, I thought they were gonna get absolutely waxed. The I thought Rutgers being like a defensive-minded team and Georgetown having no defense, that it, it, it was going to be like 70 to 42 or something. Like, that's been crazy. Well, Epps is 4 of 12. Rowan is 3 of 12. And Heath is 3 of 11. That won't do it. But anyway... Anything else you want to get to here before we wrap this thing up? I'm sure we can. Um, USC's got to get healthy for their tournament. They have Seton Hall, Oklahoma, and somebody else in that field. Seton Hall, Oklahoma has has covered. Oklahoma's been ripping through these bye games. Um, Seton Hall scored 96 points on Albany today, if you're looking for an indicator of how bad Albany's offense must be. Or Albany's defense, excuse me, who, must be. Who's, who's the next Albany coach? I know that 
Killings of the Hot Seat guy, right? Yeah. Theoretically, they'll go like more experienced. Maybe go retread after uh, the the situation with DK being so inexperienced. But um, Air- Arizona State was god awful in the barstool game, um, and then people were freaking out over the barstool broadcast. Which, yes, Kyle Boone tweeted the clip. It was Big Cat was just like screaming like foul for like a minute straight. Yeah. And it was literally unbearable to even watch that minute clip. Um, so I get their point. By that time, I, I had the game on mute, so I didn't, I didn't know. But my, the the part that I listened to, I I thought they were fine. But my take was that it does feel a little bit uncomfortable that like the broadcasters who are sitting courtside are like openly like telling players like. Like, like to do something, right? Like what happens if, like, like what happens if, like the lines start getting impacted by like the broadcaster yelling at players to do shit, you know? <laughs> that that is awkward to me, but I didn't think it was a huge deal. The game itself was like run perfectly smoothly. I will say Arizona State terrible, and and this is actually a good kind of closing take for the show. Um, I know you don't love to do the like winning player losing player thing, but Every single college coach you talk to will without fail talk about with transfers has a guy won or not, right? Like winning habits, guys who understand how to grow and learn in practice, how to sacrifice for others. It's a valuable skill and it doesn't get, it gets evaluated a lot by coaches, by certain coaches in particular, and doesn't get talked about by the media. And Arizona State is a great example of a team that recruited nothing but losers, right? Like Jose Perez, four school kid or five schools, maybe five. Yeah. Five school kid um, lost at Manhattan was a destructive force at Gardner Webb lost at Marquette, got a coach fired. Like what did you expect? Right. Um, Sean Phillips lost a ton of games at LSU. Couldn't even get off the bench. Um, continuing on, Bryant Celebange, five and twenty-five. Kamari Lands, four and twenty-eight. Bryson Long, ten and twenty-two. Like, it's not rocket science. If you recruit a bunch of losers, it's not easy to just like flip a switch and everybody knows how to win. And I thought Arizona State was the perfect example of that. See, I, I, I. I push back on that. I think that it's too, like, convenient. It's too, like, oh, we're going to mention it when it doesn't work. I mean, you look at, like, Penn State last year, right? Like, Jalen Pickett on Siena. Like, yeah, they won, won two a match fair amount of games. Right, but they were, what, like, the 140th best team in the country? It's not there? about best team. It's like no, it's it's winning. Just games. like whatever level of competition you are, just winning the games. Correct. Is all that matters. It matters, yeah. I and mean, also, if you look into his, like Andrew Funk didn't win a lot of Bucknell, but he won state titles in high school. Um, and yes, like, that does. The, the Providence stuff better. is like top of mind for me. Like all the Providence transfers were from bad, you know, like. Justin Manaya on South Carolina, Devin Carter on South Carolina, like Carson DeRozier's on some bad Wake Forest teams, Isaiah Jackson on bad George Mason team, 
Like even Al, Al, Mania, though, Al Durham was on a bad Indiana team. Like, all those guys, though, except for Manaya, were were multiple year players. Right, it took them time, and they were surrounded by players who had been in the system. All right, so so we're saying like uh, on the transfer overhauls. Correct. Like the uh, like the Paul Weirs. Yes. But but not just it's like it, it's like you're just adding a transfer to doesn't matter. But if you're gonna add the seven transfers, it's not as big a deal, is what I would okay. say. Okay. I I think I'm comfortable landing on that. Okay. For a uh, for for a theory. Anything else on this pod before we wrap it up and head into Feast Week? I mean, a couple of these games got lost, like Florida Florida versus Virginia got lost. You know, when, when Corey Alexander got yelled at by Tony Bennett for telling the refs that they made a mistake. And then he claims that, oh, no, they, they asked him, so he had to answer. Um, we got some great Louisville shenanigans. We got some great Notre Dame shenanigans. Louisville blowing out Coppin State. Was like okay, finally we found a team that Louisville can blow out. I I watched the first ten minutes and I was like, I can't believe that Coppin State's this bad. Like, come on, no, they're what are we doing here? There's a real chance that they're 362. Um, DePaul got waxed by Long Beach. They actually came back a little bit, but still. Um, trying to think anything else. Yeah, DePaul. DePaul at least got a win. There was a world where DePaul was going in, going winless into the Louisville game. They have South Carolina in in their MTE, and South South Carolina looked okay. Uh, BJ Mack looked good. I watched like the last like ten, 10 or so minutes of that game. Um, GG Jackson, uh, GG Jackson <laughs> hypothesis might be a proving prescient. Um, Iowa competed with Creighton last night. Ben Ben Cricky was automatic. Just hitting mid-range jumper after mid-range jumper. Was it just mid-range? Yeah, he was just like face up, like 15 footers, like yeah, not not even like a pick and pop, just kind of like a pick and slide over, and, and you know over King, over Kalkbrenner. He was just you know from the wing, from the corner, from the top of the key. He was just like there's a stretch. He was just hitting jumper after jumper. Because um, I was that was the one thing I, I I haven't gotten to watch that game yet, and I was like oh like. A big guy put up legit numbers on Kalk. Like that surprised me. Yeah, I I was flipping between this game and Kentucky, so I didn't get a great feel of either game. Yeah. As, as I split my attention, but um, they they competed with Creighton. Um, Stanford uh, lost to Santa Clara, and yeah, they're I think they're cut. Oh. Over the weekend, Jared Bynum's mom called out Cooley on Twitter, saying that his offense stunk, and now Jared's flourishing in this great Stanford offense. And Jared goes three for eleven in a loss to Santa Clara, which I literally said, "What, what did I say about this addition in the offseason?" I said, "Jared Haas is going to wake up on a Saturday morning and be like, I really hope my point guard can actually hit a shot and not go two for ten." And he went three for eleven, and lost. Um, Santa Clara might be okay though. They might. I mean, you would ex- like 
that program has been really good. Uh, Clemson won their MTE, but I'm not doing backflips yet for them. We'll still in a wait-and-see mode. Tight wins over Davidson and UAB. They're like they're five points from being Maryland right now. Um, what happened to your Wildcats last night, Northwestern? I haven't watched other than the fact I, I just have seen the box score that they got out rebounded forty-three to twenty-one by Western Michigan, we, which feels less than ideal. We probably should have mentioned this earlier, but Carlton Carrington for Pittsburgh, bub. Is like on another planet. He, like, he he's like a triple double threat. He's like he's he's so good. He's uh might not be at Pittsburgh for long. He might be in the NBA soon. Yeah, he he. I think I haven't seen him play yet, but yeah. there's a chance he's a one and done. Like a very real chance he's a one and done. I'm not the good thing sure for them is that Jalon Blow at least doesn't look terrible. I, he. He can take over. It's, it's, it's funny that when when they lost Dior Johnson, we we're all kind of like, oh, here we go. But they're yeah, in a pretty good back, spot. Dior Johnson like probably wouldn't have played. They are in a pretty good spot. Um, Texas A&M I mean, looks pretty good. Uh, Georgia Tech looked terrible against Howard. I watched most of that game. Yeah. And then they got beat by UMass Lowell last night. UMass Lowell has Arizona State tomorrow, which could be a 2-0 week for them. Yeah, they're good. They're very good. Ole Miss escaped on two bye games. Yeah, Ole Miss is, like, looking bad in the bye. Ole Miss's bye game results right now look very familiar to the LSU bye game results last year. We're like, oh, it's good that they're winning. Um, They've also dropped – they've dropped from – how about this? Ole Miss has dropped from 82 to 116 in Ken Palm just by winning the bye games. Oof. That is brutal. They dropped 23 spots in a win yesterday. <laughs> um, Rutgers and Villanova get the wh- – why the hell are you playing this game away from home? Like, you, you have all the leverage. I don't care about the Big Five. People with, oh, tradition, oh, it's the Big Five, blah, blah, blah. What has the Big Five done for Villanova in the last, like, eight years? <laughs> like, St. Joe's hasn't been good since DeAndre Bembry. Well, Sal hasn't been good since Tyrone Garland 12 years ago. They are shifting the Big Five schedule. You're only going to play, I think, two two or three Big Five games a year instead of four. I think two. And and Villanova should just say, we're playing them all at the Palestra, or at um, at, uh, Wells Fargo, or uh, the the Finn. Sorry, not, not the Palestra. You don't want to go to the Palestra. You just Not lost the Palestra. There. Yeah. <laughs> the Palestra is a house of horrors. No. The whole Big Five will be played at Villanova from now on, says us, or else we're pulling out. Um, that's that what I would do. Brad hates fun. Uh, you got Jalen Tyson his waiver. Yeah. Congrats to Jalen. And maybe Daniel Bacho his waiver as well. Um, yeah, that, that was trickle-down economics right there. And I think that does it. All right. Well, let's wrap it up. We will see you all next week with lots more opinions. Thanks for listening.